The invention of the internet is one of the greatest creations in our lifetimes. And this is the story from Vint Cerf. Do you remember what it was that, that kind of triggered your interest in, in science and technology? Because you, you were clearly interested in it from, from a very young age. And, and I continue to be uh, as interested as I ever have been. In, in fact, you know, there's, a, there's an old saying that uh, uh, growing uh, old is, uh, is inevitable, but growing up is a choice that you can have. And I hope I never grow up. So uh, my recollection is that uh, my deep interest in science and technology came when I was 10 years old because I got a chemistry set. Uh, and this is 1953, which I know some people will think was in the 19th century, but it's really the 20th. Um, and there were some really great chemicals in those chemistry sets back then, which you probably can't get today. There were hypergolic, like potassium permanganate and glycerin, which burst into flame uh, when you mix them together. So uh, I got fascinated by chemistry. And that same year, uh, I was in fifth grade, and I was complaining to my teacher that math seemed boring, multiplication, division, fractions. Isn't there more to math than that? And they said yes and handed me a seventh grade algebra book, which I worked my way through that summer and became totally fascinated by mathematics. I especially enjoyed the word problems in algebra. So I would mark from age 10 a really deep and growing interest in science and technology and mathematics. So that's a primary school, and, and then you went uh, on to your high school. And I was surprised that you started working on the Apollo program while you were still in high school. So how, how did you came about doing that? This, this was incredibly good fortune. Uh, while I was in high school, uh, my father was working for a company called Rocketdyne, which made the F-1 engines for the Apollo program. Uh, and uh, I was a, a contestant. Uh, in a, to get a, um, a four-year scholarship, and I won a four-year scholarship to Stanford University. But there was a six-month gap between uh, my completion at high school and uh, and going to uh, college. And so I went to work at Rocketdyne, and my job was to write software that would evaluate the data coming from the tests of the F1 engines in a uh, you know a fixed um, test frame in the Santa Susana Mountains, north of Los Angeles. So I was getting the data back, and we were fitting it to a, a, a Weibull distri probability distribution. Our whole idea was to make sure that the engines would not fall apart until after they ran out of fuel. And, and after that, we didn't care anymore. Unlike Elon Musk uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, and others who are reusing their first stages, the first stage of the Apollo um, rockets, the Saturn V rocket, was discarded after use. But that's so we didn't care what happened after the rockets ran out of fuel. But I can tell you, it was very exciting to have this tiny little role uh, in the Apollo program. So you were you were working with an IBM uh, uh, IBM machine at the time. Uh, yes, that's correct. And it was Cobol, no? I guess. Uh, it was uh, well. It, it was a uh, an IBM uh, three. Let's see. It wasn't a three sixty because this was nineteen sixty two. So it was a an seventy ninety uh, machine. Oh, okay. Well, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. 
Now, I mean, in the in in the introduction, and we we talked about it there, and it's uh, what you're you're, you're famously known for uh, co-developing TCP/IP. What led you to, to to getting involved in in that kind of protocol topic? Well, it turns out that when I uh, went to after I worked at IBM from '65 to '67, and then I returned to uh, graduate school at UCLA. And while I was there, uh, I got involved in the ARPANET project uh, in Leonard Kleinrock's uh, laboratory as the principal programmer for the Network Measurement Center. And, uh, and so I got involved in the uh, development of the host protocols for the ARPANET, and which that project was led by Steve Crocker, who was a fellow graduate student uh, in uh, Len Kleinrock's lab, and who later went on to work at ARPA, just as I did uh, uh, after uh, Steve Crocker. So I had um, exposure to the host-to-host -host protocol development. And then when I went up to Stanford uh, in 1972 to join the faculty, uh, one of my colleagues who had worked on the ARPANET project and was a key architect, Robert Kahn, um, had gone from Bolt, Baranek, and Newman, which built the ARPANET uh, packet switches, to ARPA. And so he showed up in my laboratory at Stanford in the spring of 73, and described a multi-network idea that he was pursuing because he wanted to be able to use the computer communication capability for command and control. But that meant putting computers in ships at sea and aircraft and mobile vehicles. That meant we needed to use satellite and mobile radio in addition to uh, the wireline system on, on top of which we had built the ARPANET. And so um, Bob drew me into uh, this internet project, we called it internetting at the time. And by the end of uh, the fall of 1973, we had come up with an idea for a multiple network system. And it depended very heavily on a protocol we call the transmission control protocol, which later was split into two parts, TCP and the internet protocol. So that's, I, I, mean, I, I attribute um, all of my involvement to Bob Kahn's invitation to participate in this internetting project, which he had started at ARPA. So because of these military use cases and and the involvement at the beginning, and I don't know how many of the Soviets were doing anything, what, what were their security involved around this project and the, the, the packet of security technology in those days? So two things were happening at the same time. The internet development took place primarily in universities that were doing research on artificial intelligence and computer science, and which were involved in uh, connecting their computers to uh, what became the internet. Um, and so there was a lot of civilian applications that we were building on this basic internet backbone that we were just using as researchers. Concurrent with that, of course, is the work uh, aimed at, uh, at command and control. And so by 1975, while I was still at Stanford, I began working with the National Security Agency on the design and implementation of a secure version of the system using cryptographic methods that were classified at the time. So I wasn't able to share with the other uh, parties who were working on the general Internet uh, the details of that. And around that same time frame, 1975, 76, 77, the um, uh, revelation of public key cryptography comes along from Stanford, from uh, Marty Hellman and Whitfield Diffie, who published a paper on uh, new directions in cryptography in 1976. 
And, and by that time, by 1976, I was at ARPA running this program. And my problem was that uh, I could not use the classified uh, capabilities, which were not based on public key crypto. And there were no public key crypto algorithms yet available to use in the system. But I was confident that we could retrofit these capabilities into the nascent internet uh, when the time came. And so, uh, so there was serious consideration for security at the very beginning. There continues to be serious consideration for security, especially for the military versions uh, of the internet that are in operation today. And I think you can tell from the headlines that we need to do a lot more work for the civilian internet in order to secure it further. And of course, at Google, we know that very well, and we are using uh, cryptographic methods in a variety of places in order to build a much more safe and secure system for everyone. When you think back to to what you've just described to us, to to this kind of uh, the way that you got involved in this topic and the, and the original kind of purpose and, and vision you have, and then you you look at on what it's become and what it's enabled in the world now, which of course is, is has also led to to, to uh, your your role at your, your role at Google and and what, and what you're trying to do there. How does that feel? It must be kind of a an incredible feeling to see this thing that uh, you couldn't have really foreseen happening to have now become such a big part of of everyone's daily lives. Well, I would say that uh, some of this is not a surprise, and some of it is. Uh, the part that's not a surprise is that uh, the basic architecture of the Internet, uh, which which drew very heavily on our ARPANET experience, for example, the layered architecture of protocols is central to, uh, to the Internet design. That particular philosophy uh, accommodated expansion both horizontally and vertically. So you could add new protocols in any given layer. You could add protocol by putting in a new layer. And the reason that that's important here is that it meant that anyone who wanted to and had an idea had the technical uh, opportunity to contribute in in both those dimensions, vertically and horizontally. So this was an extremely open architecture. And that uh, is what I am most happy about, because it meant that people with new ideas could come along and contribute. They didn't have to you know, get uh, validated and we didn't have to pass an exam or something. Now, uh, having said that, a very important point is that when Tim Berners-Lee released the World Wide Web idea, uh, which he started working on, I guess, in 1989 and released in December of 91, he had added a new layer of protocol on top of TCP IP called the Hypertext Transport Protocol. And, of course, that plus the Hypertext Markup Language is what enabled the World Wide Web concept to propagate, and he chose to do what Bob and I did, which was to give away the protocols. And, and he chose to put them on an, a, by that time now, a growing internet. In fact, it had become commercially available uh, in the U.S. on three different internet service providers by the time uh, he started working on the World Wide Web. And by the time 1991 comes along, we're already uh, underway in uh, commercial private sector uh, internet services. So um, I think what I like the most about this whole story is the freedom and openness with which we embraced other people's ideas and gave them a platform in which to try them out. I hope you caught that final part about how Tim Berners-Lee took the existing architecture that was laid out by Vint Cerf and added on HTTP, and that became the World Wide Web as you know it today. 
it's a really remarkable story of protocol design.